0: Well, I, uh, I actually had a summer job, the summer of 1957, and I, I went, went to work for with I'm sorry, Jimmy was just Douglas Aircraft down in Santa Monica at their Santa Monica plant, which is they built before. It was They were submissive, which was the basis for the Delta and so on. And um, so I worked there that summer, working on the propellant utilization techniques and stuff like that. And, but, but it, we couldn't even see the Thor missile except one day they forgot to have the door open on the hangar and, like, got a good look at it, right. which violated all sorts of security. of course. Sure. But anyway, that's that kind of hooked me, and I, but I, after that, I really was, to made it worse, and I really, really wanted to work on this stuff, and I got, because of the four, uh, you know, things, big engines like that, I desperately wanted the chance to mm. run those engines. Having I mean, run the little ten-pounders that we built at the MIT Rocket Society, I uh, really wanted to do a big engine. So mm. anyway, I I applied to five different companies, and all of them offered me a job. And uh, the one you know, that the one that offered me rocket testing was Rocketdyne, cool. and that turned out to be fortuitous because that was before there was the Saturn, go program or Apollo program or any of that. But they were the ones that got all, just got all the engine business out of that. So that set me on the path where I could work on all these programs that we talked about. This was
1: done in Santa Susana uh, to work with as a development engineer or with a development engineer. I worked as a test engineer for
0: the first uh, year and a half or so. That's, that's when I was uh, being a test engineer on the H-1, which was the modified version of the Ford engine, which was used in a cluster of eight of them were used in the uh, Saturn 1 series. And I got to work on that from the very beginning. I ran the countdown on the very first test of an H-1 that was done. It didn't work, but it didn't start properly. But uh, that was still the first one. Anyway, we, uh, you know, I stayed on that. That was a terrific program. We set all sorts records for number of tests per year and that sort of thing. But the problem with being a test engineer at Langley was you didn't get any to do anything with the data. You just ran the test. Mm-hmm. which was fun, but kind of not intellectually satisfying, I guess, in the way they put it. So the people who did the data analysis, set up the test parameters on that jazz with the development group. So needless to say, I worked closely with them, and I knew all the guys from development. So I, I went, over, went over and talked to the combustion devices development group, combustion devices being thrust chambers, gas generators, igniters, all of you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really didn't even make fire, so, so I, not uh, to the end, at, at the, at the H1 was kind of settling down into routine, just to, uh, acceptance testing and like that, and so it wasn't quite as much fun anymore anyway. Right. I went to work over, over there, and uh, and they were just just starting the second round of tests on the F1 thrust chamber, so I got in on, on that and also peripherally involved in testing the uh the f1 gas generator and if you think of one of the step up in size the injector body for the f1 gas generator was the same as the injector body for the atlas sustainer sixty pound thrust engine so you know, it was a big step for rocket science and everybody else you who know, had
1: million and a half pounder okay kind of jump ahead here to the h1 uh, so, it, uh, the H1 was developed by Rocketdyne for the uh, Von Braun team. You want to tell me
0: a little bit mm-hmm. about that project? Well, the, the H1, but the, the idea was to have a simple, straightforward, extremely reliable, good performing engine that would be suitable for the first stage of the Saturn series, which was, they were just starting to design. So, the idea was to take, the, take the, the hardware we already had the four and basically the same as the Jupiter and the Atlas boosters as well and evolve that into a very simple much higher thrust to weight ratio engine and it, it's kind of, it kind of tickles me today to think about it one of the big selling points of the H1 was that it had absolutely no electronics Okay. The only electrical signals that went to it were the electrical signals to fire the igniter, mm-hmm. and the electrical signal to fire the pyrotechnic valve to shut it down. Everything else was proven. Pressure said you you fire, fire the gas generator, the side of the gas generator, that spun up the pump, that pushed open the cracking check valves, you have propylene to the GG. Uh, where was he? A couple other igniters ignited that. That and that ran the pumps up. And uh, the, the pumps came up to power, the main valve open. dumped you know, the propellant into the chamber using the ignition system, and away you went. And the way you shut it down was that you, when you, and oh, by the way, the fuel, fuel supplies, supply supplied hydraulic pressure run the valve we didn't have a separate hydraulic system we just used rp1 so, so we shut down and fired this pyrotechnic valve that ended fuel pressure off the oxidizer valve uh, operating piston so when the valve was spring loaded and you blew the pressure off the valve slammed sh- shut fire went out and the pump sped down the pressure pressure went all you know dropped off and all the other valves closed that was all it was to it. There was no electronics. There was no control computer or any of that stuff that you have on the engines today. It, it just pushed. When you push the button, it wow. pushed, and that
1: was it. Uh, sounds like, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, of course, I'm not an engineer, it sounds like it, this was like a fully analog system, you know? Just it, it cut it on and cut it off. Turn the pipes on and turn That's it off. You That's know? oh, exactly yeah. right. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> I'm glad I got and the, that. And the beauty,
0: of, and really, the beauty of it was there was oh, there was very little to go wrong. I mean, sure things did go wrong, but you didn't have to worry about any software or anything mm-hmm. like that. Once you got your valves I mean, or your your, your, uh, your <laughs> I'm getting tongue tied. Once you got your orifices set properly and the spring load on the valve set properly, all you had to do it, it was run and run and run. It was really a great engine. That's why we touched so many records, it was so easy to run. Yeah, I see. And, uh, you. Know, really? I
1: see. You were pretty impressed with that. You you, I, you quoted in your "Holy shit!" when the first time you uh you heard that you heard it explode, or rather, yeah, it's, it, the, uh, it's <laughs> the it's <laughs> the, the most <laughs> common response.
0: <laughs> <Okay>. I most <know. laughs>
1: common response to the
0: quick start <laughs> transient of yeah. yeah. very very few people ever heard that thing start the first time and mm. didn't have that reaction. really it was wow. true. Wow. and it went it went from zero to Full thrust in something less than a hundred
1: milliseconds, wow. so it would pass for an explosion.
0: Wow! Sounds like and a beast. It was a really good engine. Simple. Couldn't do anything else with it but have it push. But it did that superbly. Okay. The small part it, of it. The power power gas power.
1: generator.
0: Yeah. Speed. Yeah. Yeah. That that was yeah what that was that was what we used. I went over briefly before. That's how you started the engine was to. We fired that, and it, it exhausted through the turbine, from uh-huh. the turbine, up, which brought the, by itself, it would get the pressure, outlet pressure on the pumps up to about 80% of normal thrust. Mm. And that would providing enough pressure to use the fuel valve, the fuel pressure to open all the valves in the proper sequence. And that sort of thing, and that's how the engine started. We, we fired that, and plus the matters in the GG, which weren't in there originally, but, we decided we finally needed those because we had some GG hard starts a few times. Uh, but anyway, that was all we did. And they would just then go through its own pre programmed pressure ladder sequence and, and come up to full thrust very rapidly. They wanted us to run some long duration tests on this engine, which in flight would run for like 180 seconds. Our piston only had the ability to run it for about 60 seconds, just due the tank size. So... So we came up with this uh, system where we would actually use the same tanks where we would pump, have a pump on the ground that took low pressure propellants out of the storage tanks Mm -hmm. and pumped them into the uh, the main tanks. And it was sized to allow us to, to oxidize oxidizer was the limit because you didn't want to run out of fuel first because it burned up the chamber. So you you would, uh, it was so calibrated that we could run for about 300 seconds, and then go you know, to locks exhaustion to the, were shut down. And that, it, it, was a, it was a real pain. We had more trouble getting that darn thing to work. We just, had you a know, little Mickey Mouse that didn't work. That didn't, mostly because of called the mechanical pressure switches and stuff we had in those days. And, but once, you know, finally, one day it ran, we got 300 seconds with no sin at all. And, Oh, cool. After that, we we did it as a matter of course. But the, the first time I got a bit, I went out a rebel, you know, when we shut down.
1: Were there a lot of um, ex-German engineers working with you guys on these projects?
0: No, there, there, were, there were a couple, couple of ex-Tina Munda guys that were down at Canoga Park. The majority of them, along with Winder, went to uh, ABMA. And so it was there was a high percentage of, uh, of four former German rocket guys right, in, right. in NASA.
1: I'd like, uh, I'd like a sample of your, your German.
0: Uh, oh, well, you describe you your mean that's only German? <laughs> yeah, give me, yeah. I like your. Well, I like let's your... see. What, what's your large... engine? <laughs> well, a rocket engine is a fired shitter I see, okay. And a, and a lo- I mean, big rocket engine was a. I'm a ghost of shitter Okay. <laughs> and sometimes you would add uh, was spoken and shortened. Wow okay other things like that. I
1: would almost believe you if you said that to me. <laughs> I would actually buy that. I see you've got a, a rocket but, a, the description of a rocket engine was uh, Daslauuden boomer. And, uh, and then, yeah, the large liquid propellant rocket was in gross, just in kind of louden and boomer.
0: And, gro- and a gross, and a gross, louden and boomer. Yeah, the
1: louden boomer. That, that's pretty funny. <laughs> sometimes it was a louden boomer. Sometimes it was a firegasser. Right, right, right. Yeah. And so you sort of use those that inter- interchange. It's smoking, it's I guess short. this was the uh, this was the <laughs> this was the lingo you guys kind of um, had fun with back then, right? Right. Yeah, it's probably politically unacceptable today, right, right, but a lot of, of things course. we did then would be unacceptable now. Right, right. Um, tell me about your work on the uh, the, the F1. So you did well,
0: the, F, the, F1, mm-hmm. the F1 had serious stability problems. It, it turns out that the bigger you make the engine and the higher pressure you run it at, the more prone you are to instability. Raghavine had plenty of headaches with the... Um, the instability on in the earlier engine. In fact, the reason the first four missile rods failed was it lifted about a foot off the pad, and the mm. engine went at a high frequency, and stability came apart, and crashed right there on the pad. Mm. So, but they, but they finally got that pretty much under control by putting baffles on the injector. Right. And for some reason, when they started out with the F1, they used a flat face injector instead of what was done with baffles and it was it was really bad stability wise i don't think they ever got it completely so i came i came on board for the second round of testing where we were getting into baffle configurations Mm -hmm. because it became evident we had to put baffles in there Mm -hmm. and frankly they didn't work very well at the beginning The, the engine was Pathologically unstable. Every time you, you know, it, I, I made a joke about if if you ever got it to run 250 milliseconds stably, you can go out and have a beer and celebration. <laughs> right, right. But but it, you know, it, we just kept working at it with different mapping configurations right. and changing the details, changing injector patterns, and finally we got something that clicked. Wow. And the, one, the version they went. Well, they wound up flying and you didn't think about it. And there were seventeen missions and we all with with uh you know, there are various types with the Saturn with the with the Saturn one C five F ones each time, and we never had a single problem with the F ones and all those missions, like sixty five engines or whatever that was. That's amazing. So that was it. Whatever, whatever, all we did it must, have, must have done
1: something
2: like. right. Right, right. Uh, do you do you recall when they first started putting baffles on injectors? Was that with? Was that start? Did that start with the F one, or was there?
0: No, they, they put them on. They put them on the floor, and we had them on the H one. So I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know exactly when the very first one were, but I would imagine probably in the middle to late fifties. So oh, they were, they were, they, were te- they were we were testing the baffles by the time I got
1: in business in '58. Yeah, for those people that are uh, watching via Instagram or whatever, the F1 uh, these are engines that were actually used on the Saturn V. Is that right? That was the yeah, that was the final large motor. Yeah, those are the those are the engines yeah. that took, took us to the moon. Just so you know. yeah yeah some of the safety uh safety equipment I know. You guys were like real sort of cowboys back then. Um, tell me about safety and, and the gear, the, the equipment that you guys had to wear to
0: well, you know, to work on those. Yeah, uh, we were working on lock RP. We didn't have, we didn't normally wear any safety equipment other than um, on for the occasions, safety glasses, hard to on the test that sort of thing. The thing I think you're talking about is what. Almost me uh, to my eternal reward, because right. when you go inside the chambers, you had to go inside the chambers to inspect them, and right. both before and after the test. And needless to say, inside in a enclosed environment like that, you you were supposed to have a, an, air, an air supply, a mask, and the, and the breathing air supply to use. And so you had a scuba to system. Was, was a, uh, well, not really scuba because it wasn't. It was scuba means self-contained. This wasn't mm-hmm. self-contained. We had a compressor outside that pumped air through a hose to the I had to. I had to do. Not only did I have to inspect the chambers, the clearance, and test, but I had to sometimes do some converting patchwork on some of our workhorse chambers. On I didn't mention the other test that I was working on was a smaller one where we did stability testing on. Right. 150 K size engine and I was in, stuck in a chamber cleaning the carbon car, 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 off the walls, carbon detractor, or, uh, water let's see, what the only, okay. anyway, some, some, ball, kerosene, and I was a basement, I, well, no, not kerosene, I, uh, try to try to a uh, tri trike Oh my care. God, you
2: were up, yeah, they made you clean it off with trike, like manually?
0: Yep. And you're still alive? <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> Just, just barely yeah. And that was that was what started me uh, on this business. I was supposed to have an air, air supply mask when I was doing that too. and there wasn't one in the area I known and liked about that because it was really it was really bad. i in fact I got pretty sick from, mm. from breathing that stuff. Yeah, so I and, went that. down with a brief bout of pneumonia as a matter of fact right yeah I went in, I went in to see gentleman to whom I referred as Lard in a book. It was probably one of the most obnoxious SOBs I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I went to him and I said, Look, I I gotta do this. I can't I don't have a mask. I'm supposed to have a mask. And he looked at me and he said wearing a nice free suit sitting at his desk. Well, real men don't need masks. Real men don't need real masks. Men don't
2: need masks. Yeah, That's terrible. Spoken, no, like tri- <laughs> spoken like a true manager, driven, right. driven by schedule. Uh, for our listeners, I want to make a point that uh, I, trichloroethylene is, was a common cleanser yeah, because it got rid of, and stop me if I'm wrong here, Jim, it, it, it was a common cleanser, Rocketdyne, to get rid of uh, organic compounds, or, you know, specifically the yeah, carbon. So basically, basically, you get kerosene out of the system when you
0: needed to clean up. Your right. Rules, Yeah. You were entering in a closed space, especially might or something like that, and so you were to be supplied with a mask and mm-hmm. an air, air supply. Mm-hmm.
1: So. So, <laughs> <got> <laughs> you, Wait, so, Mr. Lard eventually got So, Mr. Lard eventually got your equipment. Uh, you, you, you guys had a conversation
0: about that. Yeah, I went in and I talked to the, to the section manager for the t- test area. I Explained that problem and was informed that a real man didn't require a mask. I'm fairly sure he'd never exposed his or exposed his anti body to it, but he was alright with me exposing mine. Right, right. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I, yeah, right. But when I went in, one day, I went in the F1, which. And supposedly all the purges were off and all like that. So, it, it, <laughs> you know, the thing was okay. Right. turned out that they had left a trickle purge on the fuel valve. Mm-hmm. And I got in there and I went to set up the ladder. The F1 was so big. You had to stand on the ladder to reach the injector, even with the short chamber. And it took me about five minutes to set up the step ladder, which means you know, well, that's basically pull the legs apart. And I remember thinking something is really wrong. I can't, I you know, I can't remember how to set up the step ladder. And, then, and then, I remember leaning there on the ladder. And, and part of my brain still works. And, you know, this this thing is full of nitrogen. Yeah. So you were slowly. As <laughs> if, if you don't get out of here, yeah. you're, you're yeah. going to get out. Don't get out of here. You're going to die. Wow, but I didn't care, frankly. I, it, it just sort of made me think. sort of information. I'm you know, hey, going to die. But I couldn't remember how to get out anyway. I so suddenly I passed out and fell out in the right oh, direction. Sorry but, to hear uh, that. Jen. I I had a similar mm-hmm. experience.
2: I worked at Rocketdyne, yeah, with a with a purge. Well, if the purges were off, the the valve wasn't holding. So it was we had a little we had a little less oxygen content. At the time I was inspecting the R sixty eights we had to carry a monitor on us for a time and I had yeah. to carry that religiously because if it beeped that meant get the hell out of there. But um, yeah,
0: that's a good idea. Good idea. I, I was at my well, the, the, the next day when I went out there to inspect the chamber. there was there was Lard and his acolytes with a brand new compressor and a brand new hose and a brand new mask. He said, "Who's your mask, Jim. Oh, 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 he doesn't know how close he came to death. But that moment I'm I, sure. I, I just, all I could do was just turn around, grab the mask and turn around and walk away. I'm but sure. I... Really? Really to I, so oh, uh,
2: no. I was told a story when I first joined Rocketdyne that they asked me the question, "What was the one thing that killed the most people at Rocketdyne?" And everybody usually <laughs> answers, "Oh, well, you know, explosion, or you yeah, know, right. or locks, uh, or you know, toxicity from the trike." And, and the answer is mm. argon. Wow. And the answer is argon because they said they they it was always a confined space problem. It was always a Somebody welding in a space where they didn't have proper circulation, Mm -hmm. and they slowly passed out and died. And they they told me the story that people would usually die in pairs. Wow! Not because because one guy would be doing the job, and then he'd find somebody else would come by, find his buddy passed out, then go in and try to pick him up uh, and get him out of there. And
1: he passes out also. Oh, wow, that's that's that's
0: yeah, if it's pure it's pure nitrogen or argon, right. yeah. No, it's the same thing either way, just effectively.
1: Yeah.
0: Two breaths of pure on the pure gas and you're unconscious. So, so you know if you did if you're gonna go in there you better be able to hold your breath and you just think about it, you know, your buddy's buddies in there, you're gonna go in, you're gonna grab him and drag him out. First thing you do when you pick up a big heavy load is Take a deep breath. Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, so it's a. Nice and that's it. They—they they lost five travel. people
0: on the shuttle program. Mm-hmm. Five people were killed in the shuttle program. Wow. I think it was five. Down at, uh, down at the Cape. Right. And the same thing going into a, the. The And in the into the shuttle. The first casualty of the
2: shuttle program was not in flight. Mm-hmm. It was
1: it was in, yeah. the guys going up into the boat tail, and they and they died yep. from asphyxiation. I'm sorry. I, I, I. I got, isn't there some kind of like safety protocol for for, for this stuff? Absolutely. I mean, you would think you would sign off on stuff, and before you go anywhere near that, there's. a, Well, here's your equipment. Here's your mask. Here's your oxygen. Here's your tank. Whatever it is, you would think that this is something that is mandatory before you even cross that orange line to get to that point. Is it, well, isn't Isn't it mandatory yeah.
0: It was mandatory then, but they
2: just ignored that. Yeah, there there are protocols, mm-hmm. but what happens is you you get to working for a big company, you get to work on a you have a project that's very schedule driven and, and you know m- and mm-hmm. money constrained and people at all levels make poor decisions. They make short mm-hmm. they make decisions for short term gain that have long term consequences, and some yeah. of them are fatal. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's oh, unfortunate. Fair. But you know that's the truth. Yeah, sad but true, but yeah, I guess that's how we we learn
0: sometimes the hard way, huh? <laughs> yes, The other thing is that what we learn from history is we do not learn from history because people keep making the same mistakes over and over. Yeah, yeah, right
1: yeah, you would think, right? Especially especially lessons like well, where death is involved.
2: Well, guys guys like me had the benefit of, of the prior generations that worked at Rocketdyne guys who who knew these things to be truth and and so we, we really didn't have to have the culture imparted on us. I'd imagine uh, for Jim, you know, much of this is new, mm. and maybe maybe things were a little little rougher, a little scarier out there, just because a lot of things were being discovered for the first time.
1: Uh, um, yeah. Just just to change uh, just to change pace and uh, a little bit, I recently watched the movie at Astra. Uh, I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> you haven't seen it yet neither have, neither, it, not, neither have I no. okay so there was a part where um, you know Brad Pitt is on Mars okay and they're about to go you know nuke his dad somewhere near I think it was Neptune or something like that so he snuck aboard the rocket but he had to do that from below the rocket while it was about to, to take off. So they were in countdown. So the engines were already like rumbling. Is um, that even possible? Because I, I like well, we sat there and I'm thinking, nah, there's no way, there's no way he could do that or get away with that. But is that something we, we the engines were already, they, already running? They weren't firing, but they were in countdown. There's you know, uh, ten, 9. I and then you don't see know. the
2: <laughs> I, I, I have to I kind of have to hold my nose for some movies just because I I think I know a bit too much. I think this is one of those cases. Yeah, movie Armageddon really turns my stomach every time.
1: (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure. Um, and what about Interstellar? Don't get me started. Okay, uh, I won't get you we, started. We probably shouldn't mix fiction. <laughs> we probably shouldn't introduce fiction right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah,
0: don't, don't, don't spoil my episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I. You know, thinking of movies, I will give credit to to The Martian.
1: Oh yeah. Except
0: for that stupid rainstorm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Called the whole plot Everything else,
0: I I didn't find anything to find fault with, I don't find fault with the movie. That's
2: pretty good. Right. I'm well, yep. for that. I got to say, start to finish, that was pretty, pretty solid, good. Uh, I was a fan of the movie Gravity, which uh, Gravity which which wasn't from a technical standpoint really what didn't make too many gross errors.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it, 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 apparently, one thing you, when you, as one of my friends said, what I learned from that movie is. If you're in space. You just fire the rocket in any random direction, and it'll take you where you want to go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which right. is what what what, what was doing. Yeah, basically. But well, I, I I really did not like that movie. I Wow. Well, yeah, they didn't. They
2: got a lot. Right of the well, thankfully the writer Thankfully, you've got the writers in heaven to guide you safely to uh, to your fate. Right. <laughs>
0: Well, basically the same thing that I did on F1, oh, which fine. was mm-hmm. te- test, testing the pest chambers, testing the gas generators, and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. I will think, however, that when it comes to inspecting chambers, I'll take the J2 every time. Right. It's, it's nice and clean, mm-hmm. and you, stuff does drip in your face when you're in the, in the right after the test, but it's water, not kerosene. <laughs> Actually, the J-2 was a really well-behaved engine. I mean, we had our problems with it, but it really went very, very smoothly. And I, I, it was so easy to work on.
1: Mm-hmm. And you, it, I, to, I see Um, you had some, Warner Von Braun had something to say about, had something to say. Oh. Uh, you want to
0: you wanna <laughs> tell me a little bit about that? Well, yeah, we're, Warner would come out once in a while, you know, to... You know, fire the troops. And one time they came out, they tried to fire the J2 for him and it didn't start. Well, so this was just before I came to work there uh, on the J2. Mm-hmm. So, a few months after I started, you know, we were, earlier we was coming back. So, this time we're going to run a J2 for him and it's on our work, by golly. So, they put the best tuned engine they could find on VTS2. And just to prove, just to show it was already for wonder the next morning, they ran a the test mm-hmm. on the afternoon of the preceding day. The one thing about the J-2, kind of like you see on the shuttle, as a matter of fact, there's a huge amount of hydrogen that comes out first. And if you you don't want it to accumulate, it will make a pretty good proof. Mm-hmm. You have a big cloud of it. Mm-hmm. So... They put little pyrotechnic igniters. You in the shuttle pictures, you can see those going off around the around the engines when it when it uh, lights off. Well, we had we had a a, a, just we used an old pyrotechnic igniter like we used to use before, mounted on a little stand right next to the chamber exit. So the the problem is when the J2 first starts with its high expansion ratio, there's a negative pressure in the nozzle. I mean, it, it, it actually set air and whatever else was mm-hmm. around back into the moss during the start. Nice. So, what, what they did in this particular occasion, inadvertently, was to yank the, uh, the igniter right off the connector, right off the little stand it was on, and that the cable whipped around inside and locked a hole in one, in one of the tubes of the chamber. Right. So they, the the test went went fine. I mean, it, didn't, it didn't hurt anything to have hydrogen leaking out. Know. But the trouble is, you couldn't start it that way the next time because you did it with a little mess on your hands. So between four o'clock in the afternoon when we leave, ran that test, and eight o'clock the next morning when Walter was going to appear for his show firing, we had to fix that, put a patch on the inside of that chamber to patch up the hole in the tube. So we. Uh, I, 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 somebody had, some engineer had to be on site, although I contributed nothing but my person, surely. But they brought in the welder, and the welder got in there, and he made, made the saddle patch, and well, raised it in. Well, story short very sure it was a long process, but it worked were just fine. Next morning, Virgil was up, and uh, we were just... I, we got through about 6 a.m., so I, I figured, what the hell, I'm to watch the test before I go home. And sure enough, I, I went up to the visitor and Sam Hoffman, the president of Walker Rock and Werner, were standing there watching the test. So I kind of sidled up behind them. You know. I'm surprised I didn't get, get ejected, but anyway. <laughs> so we anyway, ran the test, it ran perfectly, everything was just absolutely perfect. And after the engine shuts down, when we're turned 6 a.m., he said, you have come a long day, Sam. Right, I right. thought to myself, well, you, you? I have no idea how far we've come since 4 o'clock yesterday. <laughs> right. Yeah, then you,
1: you went on to what was TRW? TRW. For more of this interview, go to
0: the playlist and click on the next part.